Welcome to the Salem Alliance Church Podcast. To learn more about Salem Alliance, including life groups, gathering times, and other resources, visit us online at salemalliance.org. Today's talk is given by a guest speaker. Hey, this morning, I have an incredible privilege to invite to the stage a dear friend of mine. Dr. Martin Sanders is going to bring the word today. He's going to close out our series on Ephesians. I've known Martin for over a decade, probably close to two decades. He has been a mentor and a friend. We've hung out in Jordan. We've hung out at Alliance Theological Seminary. Uh, Dr. Martin Sanders ran the doctoral program at Alliance Theological Seminary, which I got to go through and was a personal mentor and encourager of mine. Thanks for being here. This is surreal for me that you are here in Salem, Oregon. And so I know that you will enjoy him. He'll be coming back again. He'll be leading our men's retreat. And uh, I hope you enjoy this as much as I have already twice. I'm going to stay here and listen a third time. I hope it's good. Here we go. No, No pressure. No pressure. I always like it when you're invited someplace to speak and then they tell you what you have to speak about. (laughs) As if I couldn't come up with anything on my own. So thank you for directing me so clearly. Like here's the text, here's the theme, here's what I want you to say. Thanks, thanks for the trust, Rob. I'm really feeling it. You're at the end of Ephesians. What a great place to come in as an outsider and go, oh, this is fun. To bring us into the presence and go, there's yet one more step. One more step towards effectiveness, one more step of empowerment, one more step at being free. So we're just gonna summarize it and be strong in him. Rob mentioned I've run doctor program. I've just done 36 years as a grad school professor with Alliance Places, first in, in uh, Canada at the Canadian Theological Seminary in sunny Saskatchewan. If you just go to hit Montana and turn left, it's just up there, you can't miss it. Uh, Not much up there. And now, 32 years in, in, uh, in New York. Last 13 years, just doctoral program. But it's never for academics for me. It was always about developing next generation of leaders and especially multicultural and so on. So part of that nearly 30 years ago started a thing called global leadership and as the slide comes up do podcast called mentored uh, working with uh, Dr. Carson Pugh uh, Canadian and our uh, power of mentoring book translated into French being used widely in the French speaking world it's just fun to be a part of a team now. I think I've got 20-some people who have partnered with me, and we've done 80-some countries of taking um, what we do in developing leaders to various under-resourced parts of the world, both financially under-resourced, but also uh, with the gospel. Notice it doesn't have my name, nor does it say ministries. And so we've gotten into all sorts of places. I've done stuff at the Pentagon in various places, uh, with um, medical communities in Africa and other things. That's why I like being here. You get this. You know how to do this. And so by the end, in the next 23 minutes or so, 24 maybe, um, we'll take it to another level. So 
this book of Ephesians, as you know, was written as a letter. But for people who lived in a very different world than we live in, not just linguistically, not just distance and time, but the world they encountered was so different. Ephesus, of course, was one of the world-class cities of the region at the time. Port city, uh, sitting on the hill above the city overlooking it was the um, temple of Diana and it was just one of those awkward kinds of places if you're trying to live out any kind of a life of faith and righteousness it was just stood in juxtaposition to the kind of life you were trying to lead and so as that is a backdrop let's just look at the letter because who's come down to us is Paul who wrote the letter who's very clear about emphasizing Christ not faith, Christ. So the structure is quite simple, but linguistically it's kind of important to take a look at because we're at the end. Let's see how it all ties together. First three chapters are just about being in him. You know this. They covered it quite well, I'm sure. In the first chapter of Ephesians, depending on your Bible's translation, at least 11 times it will say something about how you are in him. Now picture it. Remember who you are. We're mere mortals on this planet. And we get to be in him. If you look at the big pictures of the universe from antiquity's past, you have the Holy Trinity of God. And here comes Jesus going, I want you. I know who you are. I want your name. This isn't a New York thing. I know where you live and I'm coming after you. It's very different. It's more an invitation. Come on. Come be with me. I want you. I want you to be in me, Jesus would say. And then when we get to chapter 4, halfway through, it shifts. Chapter 4, verse 1. The shift is now you are going to walk worthy in him. You're going to walk worthy of your calling. Now, many of your Bibles will translate this as live. It's just easier to go live a life worthy of your calling. A little simpler, a little kinder and gentler. But for the people who heard it originally, it is a classic. They would have called it a Greek peripateo verb. It's how you walk. We still use it. You walk your way through life. A little over nine years ago, my wife Diana passed prematurely. You have to walk through grief. We still use the word walk. And so in this letter, it's how are you going to walk? So he says, first of all, you're going to walk worthy of him. Don't ever forget that on a regular, even daily basis. You are the best connection point God has with the people around you. His dream for you, if you haven't figured this out, is when people have been with you, they scratch their head just a little. And they go, you, you remind me of someone. Ah, yeah, you remind me of him. Overly simplistic, incredibly real. You are in him. So walk worthy of his calling. Chapter 4, verse 17. You don't walk anymore like the Gentiles in the futility of their minds. That's not how you walk. You didn't learn Christ this way, he would say. So we move into chapter 5. He says, walk in love. It is the foundational piece. We're the love people. 
have people say to me, I don't know if we should call you the love doctor or the soul man. I go, I'll take both. But it's sort of like the soul man. I like that one. It works with my voice. And then in chapter 5, verse 8, he says, Walk as children of light. Darkness has no power over you anymore. So then when we get to halfway through chapter 5, there's this summary statement in verse 21. Summary statement just is very simply. So submit to each other, submit to one another, out of reverence for Christ. If you prefer, be subject to one another, out of reverence for Christ. And then he doesn't want anybody to miss it. So he spells it out. Very simply, wives, this is what it looks like for you. Next, husbands, this is what it looks like for you. Very specific. And then children. Doesn't leave anyone out. And then he goes to fathers. Now I scratch my head a little and go, guys, come on, you, you, you and me for just a minute. Apparently he knew that like a couple centuries later, a couple millennia later, that the guys like us would kind of need a double hit. So you get hit, first of all, as husbands, and now you get hit as fathers. Apparently he knew that. But notice what he says. Dads, don't exasperate your children. I don't care how old our children are. If in conversations with us, they, te they take one of those deep sighs as if they're exasperated, Oh, that's the clearest signal on the planet. We're not representing him well. If we're exasperating them, far more about our opinion, far more about us. By the way, I guess I'm supposed to be doing men's conference for y'all somewhere along the line. Uh, we'll hit on some good stuff. It'll be like a Broadway show. You'll laugh, you'll cry, you'll want more. How's that? And then Paul wanting no one to miss it. It's slaves and masters. This is what it looks like for all of us. All of us to be subject to one another in Christ. Now let's go to our assignment for the day, chapter 10, or chapter, verse six, chapter 10. Very simply, finally. I love when Paul says finally, because sometimes he goes on for two more chapters. <laughs> sort of like some of you, on the telephone, I think the conversation's over. I click, you keep talking. I have been accused of being rude and I went, the conversation was done. At least it was on my end. And I thought it was for us. I thought we had wound down. I thought we'd covered everything. There's other calls to make, so I pushed click. They go, I, I can't believe you cut me off. No, we were done. At least, Everything indicated that was the case. So Paul goes, okay, finally, finally, be strong in his mighty power. It's not a pep talk telling you to try harder, be better, do more. Recognize the resources that are yours in Christ and then take them and with them take his authority. And he'll show us in just a moment. That's even against the forces of darkness in the universe around you. And also the personal enemy of your soul. You don't have to play any longer, he would say. 
Be strong in him and in his mighty power. Now, as this passage begins, he goes, yeah, be strong and then put on the full armor of God because you have to now stand firm. So our struggle's not against flesh and blood. Sometimes it is. But in this scenario, he says, no, it's not. In our case, here's what it's against. And then he outlines it. There's rulers, authorities, power of this dark world, and the spiritual forces of heavenly realms. Now, we don't, again, we don't have a worldview for this. We just sort of lump them into, uh, this is apparently something about the devil. Uh, this is about spiritual realms that are dark. I hate it when it comes after me. If I resist long enough, it seems to let up and go away just a little bit until the next time. That's not what he's after. This is a whole world view. <clears throat> I, uh, I started out as a farmer. I thought I was going to do that my entire life. I, uh, I'm actually a certified artificial inseminator of cattle. It looks good on my wall beside my ordination. <laughs> and I discovered it gives me great credibility in marriage counseling. I have no idea why, but it seems to work, so I'll, I'll go with it. I got married very young. I was 18, married an older woman. She was 19. And uh, we'd been married close to three years. And we both came to faith in Christ on the same day. I uh, didn't think anything about it, but apparently it's somewhat rare because people kept talking about it. We don't, I don't think we know any other couples that came to faith on the same day. And I go, us. But I said to Diana, look, I know how to make money, learn some stuff from my dad, kind of do entrepreneurial things, like to do them differently, don't like to do them the way they've always been done. So I think we can probably retire by 32, get a place at the islands. If you want your own island, probably take me till 35 or so. But we can do this. And then we came to faith in Christ. And knew pretty clearly there was some sort of calling. And I remember the conversation, I said, um, you know that retiring by 32? I think we're looking at 82 now. I'm going to make a lot less money. He goes, it's okay. We'll invest our lives. This worldview thing is big because, and just, I, I knew quickly, like within months, I had this sort of calling and, and so I figured out, like my first week of following Christ, I'd read through all four Gospels four times and thought, this just makes sense to me. And so as I progressed on and moving towards probably some kind of ministry of some sort, I noticed not everybody bought into this. And so here it was, I was 24, I was in grad school, north side of Chicago, I was teaching an adult Bible class at a local church, and I was teaching my way through 1 John. It says, chapter 4, test the spirits and see if they're from God. So I just taught my way through it and talked about dark spirits. And if there's there, you got to break their hold and kick them out. And it was one guy asked all sorts of questions. And I finally said to him, um, you and I should probably have a private conversation later. I don't think everybody's as interested as you are. And there was large portions of the audience who went, thank you. And um, in my mind, he was an older guy. I figured out he was only 34, but I was 24, so he did seem older. It was a Vietnam War vet. And he knew he'd picked up something dreadful. It was ruining his life. And so we made an appointment and went over. 
Because people have asked me forever, have said, Martin, who mentored you in this stuff? And I go, you know, back then, in my circles, nobody knew it. Here's what I knew. I had a New Testament. And I'd read the Gospels again and again and again for any Canadians, again and again. <laughs> I'd read it. And I was somewhere between mildly stupid and incredibly courageous. It's a great combination. And I stepped into that arena and said, we can take care of this. Just getting started and a mute spirit came over him. His wife turned to me and she goes, what are you going to do now, big boy? I said, same thing we've been doing. We'll persist. Break this sucker. That's how it works. Just press in. By the end of the evening, we've had it taken care of. I don't want to make it too flippant, but there's just something about the power of God that's unique. And if you're courageous enough to show up, it's incredible what he does with people like us who don't understand technique, sometimes don't need it. But with this unfailing trust in him. If you're interested in this, just at the bottom, Fred Dickinson. Fred's now, I think, 93, long time um, head of the theology department at Moody Bible Institute. And he, he uh, wrote a book 50 years ago, I guess. He's 93, and he, every Wednesday night he still shows up in an auditorium like this, Northwest Chicago. 93, and he teaches 50, 60, 80 people who ever shows up about the spiritual rounds. Oh, that's a good soul right there. So if you're interested, get it, read it. It'll, it'll be good insight for you as you move ahead in this. But there's one more piece to this. You see, sometimes when we read the Gospels, we do it almost like a reporting style, like we're reading an, a newspaper report. This is who Jesus was, and this is what Jesus did. And it stays kind of back there. And probably three or more decades ago, I went, no, no, that's not what this is. It's this is who Jesus is, and this is what Jesus does. It's as real and true in November of 2023 as it was in the 60s AD in Ephesus. So let me say it so clearly, you can't miss it. This is who Jesus is. And this is what Jesus does. It's amazing power. And so there's no reason for us to live in fear of the dark spirits around us. Full heart, full soul, we can do this. Let's go on to the next section of chapters, or verses 13 to, 15, 13 to 17. We then live in his protected authority. Now, this is all the stuff about putting on the armor of God. I go into churches and in Sunday school rooms for children, these things are outlined. We're trying to teach them how to do this. Now, I'm going to give you a slightly um, alternative perspective this morning. But if you're one of those people who you learned the armor of God and you put on each piece and you know what it means and it works for you, keep doing it. 
For the rest of you are sitting there going, I can't even find my breastplate of righteousness. I wonder if somebody threw it out or I've gained too much weight, it doesn't fit anymore. And I've noticed not many of you come in with helmets of salvation today. I was hoping, I was hoping some of you had like a cool stripe down the middle or some horns out the side or something. If you are one who goes, I read this and go, I don't even know what to do with it. Oh, you're in the right place today. Because this is what it's like. It's about the truth. It's about your righteousness in Christ. It's about your readiness so that in every situation, the gospel of peace just comes for you. Because if you haven't figured this out, you are one of God's best instruments in your world. His goal, his goal, I'll say it so clearly you can't miss it, is that when people are with you, they just know you've been with him. His mark is upon you. That's what this is about. It's the shield of faith. It's about faith, not a shield. And salvation, full redemption in Christ, not partial. And then the sword of the empowerment of the Spirit. I want you to consider that rather than trying to put these on, you live into them. I, I was teaching a graduate course in New York. Um, I, I was the first one who I wanted to experiment with how do we move from like, you know, day-to-day -day classes to opening this up evening courses, especially weekend courses one day, a few of them over a semester, and we've got a whole course in. So I, I, it was a little selfish on my end. I wanted to travel more so I could be around less and teach these weekend things. And so there was, I, I crafted this five Saturday course, nine hours. Uh, they gave me the biggest classroom. We filled it every time. And it was just fun to bring these people in who were in all walks of life. And I said to them, look, it's a long day. It's nine hours. I, do not talk to me at break. If you want to pass the course, you won't talk to me at break. I'll remember who you are and you'll be graded down. I need a break too. I got to get something to drink. A restroom. I also have to grab a snack. So come on, don't talk to me. No matter how much they said it, people still came up at break. So one of the breaks, there were five women, women of color, all from Brooklyn. They knew each other. And they came up and said, we, we know you need a break. There's always a but comes with this. But we just have this, we just need a few minutes. And I go, look at me. It won't take a few minutes. Look at you. It won't be a few minutes. You get two. What can we do? And he goes, we, we, we were just talking. And they all turned to the one woman. And she, she goes, Doc, we think you must get up two hours early every morning just to put on the full armor of God. I go, nope, I never take it off. <laughs> and they had this confused look. I go, stop. You see, your question has religion dripping all over it. And religion, no matter what type it is, always has superstition and fear base. And your superstition is if you could only put on the armor properly, then the enemy wouldn't have the sort of control you think he has over you and your family and those you love. 
No. The armor of God. The armor of God. Rather than putting it on, let's live into it. I hope that makes sense to you. If you can find your breastplate of righteousness and you put it on and feel more holy, oh, please do it. If not, yeah, no, no, no. This part, it's all his. It's all, it's all his. I want to walk with him in righteousness and holiness and integrity. Live in his protective authority. Just recently, I was downtown Nyack. Um, this guy came up to talk to me, didn't know, couldn't pick him out of a lineup. He had taken some classes. I think he graduated from the college and took a couple classes or took some at the seminary. I didn't know him, never had him. But he knew who I was and we stopped. And uh, rather than, you know, how are you doing and stuff, I said to him, what kind of man have you become? And he said, Doc, the devil's kicking my backside all over the place. I said, simple question. What makes him think he still has access to you? Look at you. You're a Caribbean chap. You're as wide as you are tall. You've got a big chest cavity. Let's fill that thing. What's going on with you? Just put his head down. Go, no, no, no. Lift your head up. Here's what we're going to do. Now, normally, forgive me. Normally, I'd punch him pretty hard in the peck. I thought, I don't think this guy needs punched today. So I took my hands and put them right in his chest. And I said, son, it's time to be a man. It's time to be a man of character and integrity. It's time to be a man of holiness. It's time to quit dealing the cards that give the enemy of your soul, the trump card. It's time for you to become the kind of man your wife can respect. Oh, if there was ever a commercial for men's retreat, I think I just did it. <laughs> and then instead of punching him, I moved this hand to the middle of his chest and put the other one around the back of his neck and cupped it like a father would. I was probably seven inches taller than him. And I simply said, I am going to pray the power of God into you. You take care of the darkness that needs to leave. Not my job today. And in one month, your wife's going to call me and give you a report card. It's time to become the man she can respect. She wants you to be that. And she deserves it. He goes, I knew I shouldn't have talked to you. <laughs> she did call. Let's wrap this up. In this final section... 18 and following. He goes, now this is, this is how you live out your life and this is how you pray. Because we don't do this as individuals. It's hard for us in this sort of personified American culture of faith and everything else. It's our own perspectives, own views, own everything. 
And very simply, the letter reminds us it's how we live out life and love and faith together. So in verse 18, he said, And now, pray in the Spirit on all occasions. Pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers. And with this in mind, be alert and always keep praying for all the saints. Now, if we were not in the Pacific Northwest, but we were in the Atlantic Southeast, I would say, y'all, let's do all the prayers for y'all. Notice all the alls. It's fascinating to me. I'd read this thing, I don't know how many dozens of times, hundreds in my life, and went, I somehow missed all the alls. So on all occasions, pray. All kinds of prayers, not one. Always keep on praying for everyone you know, love around you. Anybody that you have a chance to influence. And then for all the saints. We're in this together and you know it. By reputation, you do this quite well. Now let's take it up two levels. There's a very real enemy. He's not just after you. He's after y'all. If he can discredit you, he'd love to. Don't let him. You've come too far. You're too good. Don't let it happen. Stand strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Pray with me. God, sometimes I feel like I need to just apologize and go, you said it so well. Why, why did I need to talk about this? You've outlined it well in your words. Now, let it sink in. Your strength, your courage, your amazing authority. Take it deeply into each person, not just who needs it, but each one. So that as we live out this faith together, Together, our city, our world around us will notice and go, ah, the followers of Jesus, the son of the living God. It's those people. They get it. Now, empower them together to do this well in the power of Christ. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Salem Alliance podcast. We hope you have been challenged and inspired. Salem Alliance is a community of believers located in downtown Salem, Oregon, and we are passionate about our city being a city at peace with God. To experience other messages and discover more about who we are, please visit salemalliance.org or download the Salem Alliance app. And again, thanks for listening.